The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversations with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, an online intuition development course for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and this week my guest is Kate Sitka, and we're talking about intuitive communication with the animal kingdom. I connected with Kate over Skype. She was at home in Tofino, B.C. So, Kate, how did you realize that you could communicate psychically with animals? Hmm. It was... It was something that I was born doing, and I was I was always doing it. I didn't I didn't really have a word for it. Um, and I think when I was about six years old, you know, when you're starting to go to school, that's when I was really, when my parents were really focused on teaching me the difference between what was real and what was imaginary. So between about six and twelve, uh, I really incorporated the message that a lot of the animal communication that was happening was imaginary, and so you don't talk about it or you don't expect people to engage with you on it in the same way they would engage with you on other things. Uh, but I really, I really remember watching um, Sonia Fitzpatrick, who is a professional animal communicator. She was on Sally Jesse Raphael. And I remember watching her communicate with animals on the show and it just hit me like a bolt of lightning. Like this, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm experiencing. And so that was really the moment when it just it, it validated everything that I was experiencing, and it gave me a word to go to the library with and, and look up and really begin to self-train. So I guess there's two answers to that question. I think that's really interesting that you saw Sonia Fitzpatrick on Sally Jesse, which, of course, I haven't even thought about Sally Jesse Raphael in years, but it <laughs> triggers my memory of seeing Brian Weiss on Oprah. And that, you know, was also when I was very young, I, you know, I don't know, my early teens, and he was talking about past life regression. And I was mm, like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. totally, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, but, and you know, clicked. when you think back now to how uh, unusual that would have been, I imagine this was probably like in the 90s for you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So when you were growing up then, how did you expand on that natural intuitive knowing? Like, how did you come back to um, the place where you were confident that like, no, something real is happening and I'm actually dialoguing in a different realm? Mm. Wow. Well, I guess it was about 15 years before I actually set up a website and started advertising my services. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, from that time when I had that aha moment watching Sally Jesse Raphael, I spent um, really the next 10 years just being quiet about it. And I didn't, I didn't really talk to other people about it. And I, I just, I read all the books. I read Penelope Smith. There was a very a finite number of books out in the 90s. Now it's amazing. There's so many books out there. Uh, but I read all of the books. There was a time when I read everything that had been written about it. And I really credit my dog as my first teacher, my um, childhood dog, Heidi, who is a standard schnauzer. And we used to go on these long walks in the bush. And she would do stuff like drop her nose and sniff something. And then an image of a deer would pop into my head. And then I would go and follow her. And she would lead me to, like, she would follow the deer tracks that she could smell that I couldn't see. 
but eventually we would find a trap, uh, a track trap where there would actually be some mud or something, and I could actually see that there was uh, deer tracks there. So that, for me, it was the the quiet way that I started to build confidence, and um, that at least if I wasn't talking to other people, at least I knew for myself um, that this was real. And I was really, it was like being a child, and you're you're building a vocabulary. So I had to learn these mental cues for deer, raccoon you know, bear the same way that you, when you're a kid, learn ball, drink, you know, dish, that kind of thing. Right. That is, okay, so that makes a lot more sense then for those of us who are not quite clear on what would animal communication be like. Because when you say that, that she would do this, this gesture, and then you would Mm -hmm. have an image, and then there would be some sort of proof. I think that is very enlightening for people who are just perhaps opening up to their intuition. And I find this... Mm -hmm. It kind of leads me to my next thought, which is, do you you think that it's easier to communicate with domesticated animals rather than wild ones? Like you could communicate with Heidi better than with the deer. Mm. I think it's easier to be a beginner and to learn from domesticated animals because our pets are so invested in being understood that they will put all kinds of time and energy into sending that message over and over and over again and being really obvious about it and being tirelessly dedicated to being understood, whereas a wild animal doesn't necessarily have that same investment. Once you gain the skill, it's exactly the same, although the experiences can can be vastly different. Mm. Uh, but I think, yeah, definitely for someone who's learning, practice with pets, practice with other people's pets, because then you can get that confirmation, which is so important for building confidence and getting over that, I'm not making this up thing. Whereas in the wild, uh, you, you wouldn't, ne- it's a little more difficult to get that confirmation. Right. Okay. So mm-hmm. this brings up an interesting thought. My husband and I, we raise rabbits and we're interested in adding chickens and ducks and, you know, sort of things for a little urban homestead. So mm-hmm. do you think, say for a farmer, somebody who's actually raising animals for food, including meat, is it appropriate mm-hmm. to create that kind of spiritual connection or like that to me that that just feels um like next level and I also Mm -hmm. I wonder about how invested my rabbits are as opposed to say a dog because they you know they Mm -hmm. live outside that sort of thing so like what kind of issues do you think like a a farmer or even just somebody who has like urban chickens you know what would they want to be aware of like how could animal communication help them potentially Well, I think the first hurdle for a lot of people um, is they're afraid to open up to animal communication because then they're worried, I wouldn't be able to eat animals or I wouldn't be, you know, there's so much pain in the animal world potentially, and I just don't know if I can withstand that. And so a lot of people keep themselves closed off for that reason. I think personally that the spiritual connection between you and your food, if you do eat animals, I, I feel like it's essential and it's something that we've only become separated from in really the last hundred years or so. I mean, I grew, I grew up with uh, in a family of hunters, and you know, for us, hunting wasn't like a sport thing that you, you know, you go out and you're collecting a, a trophy deer. It was, you went out to get rabbits, and you know, my dad would go and check with the neighbors, and do you need rabbits, and how many do you need, and he would go out and get them, and of and back then in the 50s and 60s there were so many rabbits <laughs> and there's not nearly as many in the wild anymore 
Um, so the wild was sustaining us in that way. And my dad, um, the psychic thing runs on my dad's side, and he was an extraordinary hunter. And I think it's because you put out that call and that sense of humbleness and that sense of gratitude and respect. You know, he would never shoot something unless he knew he was going to bring it home and eat it and knew that he needed it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he let many, many animals go because they weren't in the, the right position. He wouldn't be able to get them. They weren't quite the right thing. Um, and he never went trophy hunting. So I think that spiritual connection is essential to uh, the ethical operation of a farm, really. And I think that when you are spiritually connected with your animals, then you care about what their life experience is even more, and you care about what their death experience is even more, and you can actually feel okay about it, having having discussed. I've uh, read accounts of animal communicators whose geese will walk up to the stump and l- lay their necks down. Like, I've, I haven't witnessed this personally. I haven't witnessed it, yeah. but I've read, I've read accounts of it. And um, my, my friend who has chickens, uh, she, you know, we discussed with the chicken flock. Um, she had three roosters. One of them had to go. And there was the discussion among the flock of which rooster should go. And he didn't, he didn't question it. He didn't protest it. And it was a, a relaxed thing. He, you know, the... Um, the husband of the family went over and picked them up, and usually roosters will fight like crazy mm-hmm. when they get picked up, but he understood what was happening, and they put him upside down in the cone and you know, gave him a very quick, painless death, which is, I believe, what all food animals deserve. And the interesting thing about spiritually connecting with farm animals um, is connecting with that reincarnation cycle, because these, the consciousness, it leaves the body, but it had a pretty good life at your farm. And so the likelihood that they're going to want to reincarnate with the next batch of ticks or the, the next batch of rabbits, it's pretty high. And they, you know, they know how it's going and it can take the stress and the emotional strife, a, a lot of that out of farming when you have that connection and when there's, when there's that respect there. Hmm. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense to me. And, you know, so much of what you said, I, I really agree with. And I really hear you about the, the hunting. You know, my, my husband, mm-hmm. his blog is smallanddeliciouslife.com. And mm-hmm. he wrote a blog post about hunting a deer and how emotionally brutal that can be. But he wouldn't have it any other way because it does make it mm-hmm. sacred. It does bring a lot of spaciousness to the experience when you are not anxious for the trophy. It's not the thrill of the hunt at all. (laughs) It's very Mm -hmm. much Mm -hmm. about, uh, we need this for food. And is this circumstance really appropriate? Like we're not striving. We're not putting the deer at risk of a painful death, that sort of thing. And when we raise rabbits, we have a a breeding couple, the doe and the buck, and the offspring are our food. But the reason we raise them is because we really wanted to walk our talk about eating humane meat. And it's so difficult to find humane meat. So Mm -hmm. for people like us living in the city, we were like, okay, well, our friends have chickens, we will do rabbits. And so we uh, on dispatch day, slaughter day, you know, leading up to it, I'm frequently like, I don't think I can do this again. I really don't know if I can do this again. And then I know that on that day, I just have to keep it together. And my husband and I have helped with friends, you know, um, 
dispatch the Christmas turkeys and that sort of thing. And one thing that he and I share that we didn't discover until that moment of taking the life of the animal we'll eat is that we both do naturally bring such a deep reverence that we're very calm and very present because that's Mm -hmm. what the animals deserve is that we're not going to have our energy all you know frenetic and frazzled we have to hold it together for the sake of just having a nice calm easy transition so we smudge on that day when friends come and help us we smudge we say a prayer we do a ritual washing of our hands where we wash each other and um for us that's the ritual that sort of signals to particularly people who are helping us who have usually never had a smudge and ritual hand washing before uh, taking a farm animal's life. Uh, It just signals to them that this is a sacred experience for us. Um, So, and I find this very interesting that you could communicate with the flock and see which one of these roosters has to go. That's uh, Mm -hmm. that I will keep that in mind for later and we'll call you when we get the ducks. (laughs) Yeah, please do. This is such a controversial topic because many animal communicators will polarize the issue and go vegan. Mm. And I was, I was a vegan myself for two years. And I, I, I subscribe to, now I subscribe to the sense that there's a genetic role that is played in your need for eating animal protein or not. Um, and Penelope, Penelope Smith went through this too. She, she was a vegan for a number of years and ended up having conversations with cattle and, um, and then, and there are animal oversouls as well that you can address. Um, so you can, I, I love that you incorporate spiritual practice into it because there's a, a sub, the subculture of um, small sustainable farming. There's also this culture of disconnection from the actual animals and the sense that if you're going to be a farmer, you can't name them. You can't be emotionally attached. You can't cry, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think that that is, um, not necessarily true for everyone and not necessarily healthy for everyone. And I, I love that you incorporate prayer into it because that's how I was raised. You incorporated prayer into hunting and, um, yeah, I love it. Mm, Beautiful. Okay. So it's hard. It doesn't get easier. Oh God, it really doesn't. You know what? It doesn't get easier. I think I get better at bringing presence and, uh, I think I get better at, you know, obviously skill wise, you know, we're very swift and we're good at teaching other people now what to expect and really setting the tone when people come to help us. Um, but I do, I need helpers to come because, uh, I just get fatigued after taking just a mm-hmm. few lives, but my husband and I are pretty um, uh, adamant that the whole point of this is that they will never have a bad day in their lives <laughs> and mm-hmm. that that includes their death day. So we need everybody to be very calm, and I think I'm better at that, but I definitely feel it in the weeks leading up that it's like, oh, this is going to be hard, and we play with our bunnies, and you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yes, we, we subscribe to the, the connection with the animal, and so now, so for the average person who's a, you know, a, a dog or cat or hamster owner, uh, if they <laughs> wanted to open up psychically with their pet, Having read all of the classics of the genre, what would you say are the top things that, uh, you know, the first things that the average person should do in order to begin to develop this intuitive skill? Mm. There's, there's so many boxes to tick, like be, be grounded. 
you know, meditate and develop that the skill of taking your own internal dialogue and setting it aside so it creates a, a blank slate for the animal's thoughts to pop in. Uh, one big thing I like to recommend, because people find meditation to be a big stumbling block sometimes, is go and work out first. Hmm. You know, get a sweat on, get your heart rate up, then go and sit down. Because when you sit down after your body has the itch taken out of it and after you've expressed all of that anxiety from your muscles and you've stretched and you've cooled down, then in that state, sit and meditate and you'll find that it's, it's a lot easier. Oh, I love that. that. That's, a, that's good advice for success. anybody all the time, right? That's like, mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. if anybody is saying, I, I can't meditate, I, I, you know, it's hard for me to sit, that's wonderful universal advice. Sorry to interrupt. Carry on. Yeah, oh, no, I also uh, suggest that people don't practice with their own pet initially because they know too much about their own pet and they're not going to get the confirmation that they need to build their confidence. So there are all kinds of animal communication uh, practice groups. There's one in Victoria where you are. I believe Stephanie McSomething um, mm-hmm. organizes a group in uh, Van or Victoria. And if there isn't a group in your area, start one or go online and start a blog and exchange pet photos Uh, in a safe group. So set yourself up for success. And then you do your meditation and you say hello to the photo. What I always uh, say as well is ask permission of the animal. Introduce yourself mentally. Say hello. I am a friend. I love you. I always incorporate that too. Send them the love. Say hello. I love you. May I speak with you? And that is enough often to get the connection where they, they understand what's going on. Whereas if you just pop into their head, it can feel very invasive and they and the reflex might be to just shut you out Mm. Mm. that's a good point now you and i have worked together you communicated with my dog bruno but he had already passed so that's an interesting skill that you do as well because you you communicate with loved ones who've transitioned and um so not only uh people who've died but pets who have died and i wonder if there's anything different about that in, in your process? Uh, for me, there's no difference at all with pets. Um, the difference between pets and human spirits is so much in how you address a, how you, the communication process is how you relate to that consciousness. So when you're relating to a consciousness as their last human life, then you're tapping into their personality in that last life, how they related to the family member that you're facilitating for, so the human issues can be much more complex and, and much more emotional. Uh, so for me, that's the, that's the big difference, whereas uh, pet communication, whether they're still alive, whether they're wild or domesticated or on the other side, it's all the same because the, the animals are so straightforward in what they feel. Um, their responses are visceral and complete. They don't have a lot of internal conflict. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Wow, so fascinating. There's so much we could talk about, and you and I have talked about this at length already, but I, I yeah. am so happy that you shared this. I, I just have one last question for you, Kate, for you personally. Now, on the Numinous podcast, we always end with a question from the Proust questionnaire, and that is, what do you consider perfect happiness? I think it's, uh, freedom, freedom to live creatively, uh, to wake up. And uh, uh, this question is actually provoking tears. It's amazing. Oh, it's truthy, um, isn't it? The truth is it coming is. through. Yeah, it, it touches a chord. Yeah. That's lovely. 
for him to wake up to tap into that creativity of what do I want to do today? What beauty am I going to bring to the world? What miracle am I going to participate in today? Mm, so beautiful what miracle am I going to participate in today I love that thank you for that what a beautiful query to start the day any day or any moment thanks so much for coming on the show Kate this has been really interesting I really appreciate you sharing so openly and freely oh thank you so much it's it's such a pleasure to talk to you Carmen I appreciate it boy if you have a pet There was a lot to think about in that interview. Particularly, I found it very eye-opening when Kate said that pets are invested in being understood. So they will say things again and again and again. And so, you know, when your dog is like barking, 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 or, you know, the cat is swatting at you. And sometimes you can get frustrated with animal behaviors. I really like that centering meditation that my animal is very invested in being understood and is being persistent and so what is present now I'm very excited to practice with some of the tips that Kate shared and even if you don't have a pet what a beautiful reflection she offered at the end there what miracle am I going to participate in today Just quickly now before we end the show, I want to say thank you to all the listeners in Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, and Indonesia. There's thousands of downloads between you now. I see you. I thank you for spending time with me. And a shout out to two users in Sweden on iTunes who've left reviews, Ioz2 and Fia Lopa. Thank you so much for your kind words on iTunes Sweden. Today's show notes can be found on my website, carmenspaniola.com, C-A-R-M-E-N-S-P-A-G-N-O-L-A. Just click the link for the podcast tab, and that's where you'll find links to learn more about Kate Sitka and some of the wonderful resources that she mentioned in the show. I want to thank Kate again for coming on. It was so interesting, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate your review on iTunes, and please share it far and wide so it can reach more seekers just like you, because you never know who needs to hear it right now. If you'd like to keep exploring this great mystery of life with me, you can go to my website, carmenspaniola.com, and click the link for the Numinous School, my online intuition development course. While you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter. You'll instantly receive a meditation download and you'll get something free from me every month. Until next time, take care.